This episode of the Outside Podcast is brought to you by the all-new 2024 Lexus GX. You ever pick up a piece of gear that inspired you to up your game? My first full suspension mountain bike was like this. So plush and fun, it changed riding a bike from something I thought I'd never forget how to do to something I realized I wanted to do better. The all-new Lexus GX is an exceptionally capable rig that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. With available dynamic sky panorama glass roof, front row massaging seats, and multi-terrain select, the all-new GX is rugged on the outside, refined on the inside. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Or go to Lexus.com slash GX to learn more. From Outside Magazine, this is the Outside Podcast. When someone sets off on a challenging and wild adventure, there are the usual reasons. Simple wanderlust, a need to escape the constraints of everyday existence, a passionate desire to see a far-flung corner of the planet. But for some people, the choice to head out there is different and very personal. A couple years ago, writer Pam Houston became seriously ill, and for a long time, she stayed that way, becoming so weak that she could barely function. In her case, medicine alone wasn't going to make her well again. What she really needed was a reason to go on. She eventually found that in a very surprising place, Iceland. Not on a vacation there, but through a series of trips during which she was determined to ride the island nation's unique breed of spirited horses. For the last installment of our Summer Read series, which features new and classic outside magazine stories read by professional narrators with New York Times audio, Houston takes us on a journey of physical and spiritual rebirth. In Kveragerti, Iceland, there are no cemeteries because there is so much hydrothermal energy in the ground that the bodies would boil. They also grow a lot of cherry tomatoes here in geothermally heated greenhouses that glow a warm amber on the hillsides in the cold, dark January mornings when we first ride out with the horses. Icelanders are very proud of their hothouse produce, grown in this valley which sits an hour south and west of Reykjavik and gets significantly, and relatively, more sun. The lettuce and tomatoes are specially labeled on menus and in grocery stores with the Icelandic flag and are, in fact, delicious. This morning is the third day of gale warnings in a row, the wind a steady 45 miles per hour, occasionally gusting to 60. In Iceland, they measure the wind by meters per second. Those numbers, in translation, 20.1 gusting to 26.8, don't sound as bad. The horses stood in this wind all night, and in the accompanying sleet, snow, and rain that churned up out of the ocean, one atmospheric wave at a time. But now they are here, underneath us, giving us their all, their strength, 
their courage, their loyalty, and we lower our heads against the wind and sleet, riding across refrozen streets toward the mountain. The horses are wearing metal shoes with studs to keep them from slipping on the ice. It seems like magic that they do not slide or trip or fall and break us and themselves, especially considering how many of us got blown backwards across the parking lot ice just trying to walk from the guest house to the barn. Anna, our German guide, tall, strong, magnificently beautiful in her muck boots and men's overalls, her thick blonde hair tied in a manish knot atop her head, is the horse girl we all wish we'd had the courage to be. She gathers us, says yes, that in spite of the gale and the worsening prediction, 50 miles per hour gusting to 75, we need to saddle up and get ready to go. The nine other women who signed up for this week are German, six 20-something students of competitive dressage, one lady cop from Berlin, who's closer to 40, and two old friends who might be approaching my age, 61, and who ride together in a different country every year. There is no hesitation. There is not even any eye contact. We grab our saddles and headstalls and hoof picks and curry combs and go to look for our horses in the dark. Today, I'm riding Salka, a mare who was at one time a five-gate equitation champion in the show ring. She is bossy and brave, as fierce and finely tuned a horse as I have ever had the pleasure to ride. I am at school, and she is the teacher, which suits me perfectly. My jobs are to keep my seat calm and quiet, my hands a little higher than I am used to, and ask with my legs again for the tolt, the four-beaded gait for which Icelandics are famous. When I can feel her gait becoming a little pacey, I have to deliver a series of quick half-halts, none long enough to start a fight, which she will win, every time she threatens to run away. An hour into the ride, I am covered in ice that has been falling from the sky so thickly that when I bend my arms, I can hear my sleeves cracking. My helmet is completely ice-encrusted and weighs an extra couple pounds. I have to squint my eyes almost to closing because they can't handle the needles of sleet that keep coming. If there were going to be any sun today, it would be rising right about now. No matter the weather, Salka doesn't miss a stride, would gallop off into forever if I let her. At one point, on a moderately icy gravel straightaway, Anna calls over her shoulder, it's time for speed. As the horses in front of me break into a gallop, there's nothing for it but to close my eyes, grip with my thighs, and trust the studded horseshoes and Salka's true heart. After the ride, Anna looks us over, says she likes the way I am able to bring Salka back down after a long run, and the outside temperature becomes irrelevant because my whole body warms electrically with pride. I have come to Iceland because two years ago I was so sick with long COVID that I could not go for a walk or read a book or stay up late enough to cook a proper dinner. 
My acupuncturist told me my kidney pulses were as weak as she'd ever felt on someone who was not in the hospital actively dying. She sent me home to find a reason to live, and I chose Icelandic horses. I signed up for a seven-day ride into the Icelandic highlands to a place called Landmannalaugur, with a departure date exactly one year in the future, figuring that by that time I would either be mostly recovered or dead. This current trip to Iceland is the third on my reason-to-live plan, and what I want more than anything in my life is to be strong enough and sensitive enough to ride these horses well. The Vikings first brought these compact, stocky animals to Iceland in the 10th century, and Icelanders have been protecting the integrity and health of this horse ever since. In A.D. 982, the ancient Althing Parliament passed laws still in place preventing the importation of any other horse to Iceland. So determined were they not to dilute the qualities of the breed they loved. To mitigate the transmission of disease, no used saddles or bridles, nor dirty gloves or riding boots may enter the country. And if a horse from Iceland goes to Europe to compete, as many do every year, they are never allowed to come home. In addition to their two extra gates, the tolt and the flying pace, each quite smooth, Icelandics are more comfortable than the average horse at all gates due to their short wheelbase, their tendency to collect themselves and move with their head high, and their almost uncanny sure-footedness. They live wild for portions of the year, in herds of up to several hundred. They are horses that have not had their wildness broken out of them. Icelanders have learned to work in tandem with those natural gifts, and for a thousand years they've been culling the untrainable and dangerous horses from the herds, which, if anything, has skewed the breed even more toward their friendly, cooperative, let's-get-down-to-business nature. Lots of barns in Iceland will take visitors out for gallops all over the countryside in summertime. But winter is for training, for getting better, both horse and rider. So I came for a week of indoor lessons, followed by this week of riding out into whatever the weather serves up. Ten days ago, when I arrived at the lesson barn, the first thing a mare named Eldink did was kick me, a swift blast to my thigh just above the knee, which left a perfect replication of her studded shoe on the canvas of my flesh. In the moments immediately following impact, I thought she might have fractured my femur. I stumble-tripped backwards to land on a bench near the tack room door, not dwelling on the fact that it was the same femur my fed-up father shattered when I was four, throwing me across the room into a piece of furniture. How much force must it take to break a four-year-old femur? How much to break one of a woman who's made it to 61? I stood and walked it off like a batter hit by a pitch, knowing that the very next thing I had to do was ask Eldink to lift all four of her feet so I could clean them with a pick. Eldink and I spent a week on trust and gates and yielding. We were paired because she needed some work, 
and I needed even more. I considered it progress when, on the third morning, she was not actively displeased to see me. I got better at asking for the tolt and the trot, and at bending her into corners, especially on her left side. A lot of my friends back home say, I'm on team gelding, meaning they prefer the more reliable good nature of a colt who was gelded at an early age and raised to be an agreeable pleasure horse, compared to a mare who has gone through life with all of her hormones and their accompanying moods intact. I have never said I'm on team gelding, because I'm not the sort of person who says I am on team anything. But ever since age 22, when I'd been given a recalcitrant Morgan mare named Savannah, who, had I been anything other than young and lucky, might have killed me, one of the times she tossed me into the lumber of a jump standard or a barbed wire fence. I have gravitated toward geldings in the horses I keep and the horses I ride. In Iceland, I've been handed mare after mare, and I've learned several things. First, if you put two strong mares at the front of a string, they will egg each other on a little more and a little more, until the entire string is sprinting. Also, while geldings exhibit their sometimes chicken-shit nature, shying at a whooper swan rising off the river, or a plastic bag that blew in on a gale and stuck itself newly to a fence, there is always a mare somewhere in the string, rolling her eyes. The biggest eye-opener of my time here, perhaps, is that while geldings mostly want to please, mares want to school. And I have come to Iceland, have come into my 60s, ready more than anything to be schooled. I'm beginning to suspect that in addition to being horses, Icelandic mares are witches, the very best and most intrepid kind of witches, and if I can learn to ride them in that space between support and surrender, they can hook me up, can let me touch the wildness that still lives at the center of existence. Or if not touch it, stand proximate enough to it to feel it work on me, to remind me what we once were and still maybe are. Back home in Colorado, I have a 20-year-old gelding who loves me, one who'll rest his big head on my shoulder, who'll let me noodle around the pasture on him bareback, who'll nicker hello in the snowy mornings when I bring him carrots and apples. It's not like that with a mare. I can't ask a mare like Salka to love me or even to trust me, not completely, because to trust me completely she'd have to give away something she cannot afford to lose. I want her to trust me just enough so we can go fast together, but never so much that her dauntless spirit is true to anything but itself. We'll be back to our summer read after a short break. Brought to you by Lexus. There are things you can own that do much more than their stated functions. Things like a professional-grade kitchen range or an aerodynamic carbon fiber bike. The truth is, exceptional things inspire you to do exceptional things. They push you. 
to reach higher, to go farther. To this select list, we add the all-new Lexus GX. You don't buy it just for the life you have, but also for the life you want to have. Its exceptional capability will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed, making plans that were once outside your scope. But as much as the GX challenges you, it also spoils you. Its intuitive technology and luxurious features mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Live up to it. The all-new Lexus GX. Hey, everyone. If you're enjoying today's episode and you want to hear more great stories like it, check out New York Times Audio, a new iOS app for audio journalism and storytelling. New York Times Audio features podcasts hosted by reporters, narrated articles from Times correspondents around the globe, cooking advice from recipe authors, professional narrators reading stories from top publishers like The Atlantic, Wired, Vanity Fair, Outside, and more. The app is available to New York Times news subscribers. Download it now at newyorktimes.com slash audio app. Your next listen awaits. And now, back to our summer read. It's the last ride on the last day of my two weeks in Iceland. And for once, the sky is not pelting sleet, snow, or hail. The sun has even made an appearance, low in the southern sky, out over the Atlantic, burning through the marine layer, lighting up the stubble of still-frozen fields. Anna is in front, as always, on one of those people-pleasing geldings. She turns and says, It's your last day. For a change, the weather is cooperating, so we have an opportunity for speed. In second position is Gaura, another powerful mare ridden by the cop from Berlin. Salka and I have been riding at her shoulder ever since we left the barn. Right behind us are the six German dressage queens, who all have better seats than the cop or I do, but who don't get to ride Salka today, or even Gaura, because dressage is all about control, and riding these mares is all about cooperation. We've just turned onto a long straightaway, Gravel, frozen, but not exactly solid. Some of the best footing we've seen during this week of the worst footing I've ever experienced in my life. I don't know how fast this guy is, Anna says, indicating the horse she's riding. You might have to go around. The cop and I exchange a quick glance. The first rule of every barn in Iceland is that under no circumstances whatsoever do you pass the guide. We start off at a canter, which takes two strides to turn into a gallop. Gaura begins to crowd Anna's horse, and Salka begins to crowd Gaura. Anna turns around in her saddle, eyes sparkling. Let her go, she says, to one or both of us. But it doesn't matter because both mares hear her. Gaura shoots ahead so enthusiastically it takes the cop by surprise, she tightens her reins slightly, and I see Gaura glance back. Really, human? But Gaura yields and downshifts just slightly. That's when Salka sees the gap and takes it. Do I consider tightening the reins a fraction? If I do, I reject the idea out of hand. 
All of a sudden, there is nothing but two ears and a forelock between me and the whole of the Icelandic sky. I've gone fast a lot of times in my life, on horses, on skis, down whitewater rivers, in wooden sleds pulled by a team of happy dogs. It is possible I have gone as fast in some motorless conveyance as I did this day on Salka, but not at 61. Not after more than a year of identity-shattering exhaustion. Not in some kind of imperfect communion with a very good witch of the equine variety. We fly. I lose track of the ground. That icy surface I have spent all week worrying about suddenly feels like it is no longer below us. If there were words for this, here is where I would hurl a few at the page. Communion, rapture, weightlessness, joy. But one defining goal of my writer's life has been to seek out moments so ecstatic that language has to fail them. Here I am again, against all odds. Here we are together, me and Salka. Two beings become one, rising. In two kilometers, there will be a hard right turn, and I will have to collect Salka in advance of it. In two hoofbeats, or two years, or twenty, I will die, as we all will one day. But not right now. Right now we have temporarily entered the sky, all the blues and silvers and golds of it. There is the sun over the North Atlantic, smoldering, shimmering, Dare us to see how close we can get. This story was written by Pam Houston and published in Outside Magazine's July-August print edition with the title Ride the Good Witches. It was narrated by New York Times Audio. This concludes our Summer Read series. We'll be returning to our usual Wednesday-only schedule starting this coming week. If you like these long reads in the feed, please let us know, and we can bring them back at other times throughout the year. Email us at podcast at outsideinc.com. The Outside Podcast is made possible by Outside Plus subscribers. Learn more about all the benefits of a subscription and subscribe now at outsideonline.com slash podplus.